After months of anticipation, the big day has finally arrived. Here we are. Primary season begins today, Monday, Iowa caucuses. And I think this is not going to last very long. I think this whole thing is going to be quite anticlimactic because within a few weeks, after years of buildup, I think in a few weeks, DeSantis and Haley are both going to be dropping out. And in Iowa, I predict that Trump will dominate the Iowa caucuses, won't even be close. I think it's going to be a bigger landslide than anybody is predicting. And the frigid weather, the frigid, brutally cold weather is going to work to Trump's benefit. And I think that DeSantis is going to be dropping out possibly as soon as tomorrow, Tuesday. And if not, then it's going to be next week. See, DeSantis, he has invested everything in Iowa. He And, and Haley's kind of invested it all in New Hampshire. But DeSantis, he has put all of his eggs in that one basket. He has visited, he has practically lived in Iowa for the past six months, gone door to door. Uh, all 99 counties, DeSantis has visited twice. And here's the thing. If he comes in third, if he comes in behind Nikki Haley, and a lot of the polls are predicting that may happen, then it's over. Then DeSantis, he's got to walk away, cut his losses, and just move on, wait until 2028. And even if DeSantis comes in second, but comes in way behind Trump, comes in 2025, 30 points behind Trump, and again, as a lot of the polls are predicting, then DeSantis, he just walks away, kind of uh, saves whatever dignity he has left here. But I think the latest that DeSantis drops out, that's my prediction, is next Wednesday after the New Hampshire primary. And then the question is going to be, well, when does Nikki Haley drop out? I think she drops out uh, the latest February 24th, which is the South Carolina primary, because of course, because of course she's the former governor of South Carolina and she is trailing Trump in the polls even there. But I think this, I think Haley will probably be dropping out even sooner than that. So the brutally cold weather in Iowa what I mean, it is like it is below zero in a bunch of parts of the country. What happened to global warming? What what happened to that? Oh, yeah, that's I'm sorry. This is just the weather. This is not the climate. The climate is warming. It's just bitter freezing, bitter cold in lots of different parts of the United States. And it was last year as well. But here's why I think the weather works in favor of Trump, the fr- the, the, the freezing cold weather, because we you know, want it because people are so enthusiastic and energized to get behind Trump, Trump mega supporters. They will do anything. They will walk across. They will walk across hot coals barefoot in order to vote for Trump. See, I heard one analyst say, "Oh, it's going to help Nikki Haley because the novelty has worn off." In other words, it takes a real passion, a real enthusiasm, real loyalty to go out in negative five, negative ten degree weather in Iowa. But here's you know, and so Trump, the novelties wore off, and they're not so enthusiastic. He's like the wallpaper. Trump's been around already for so many years that people are not revved up. But Haley's supporters, they're all revved up. She's fresh blood. She's exciting. But the excitement is not worn off. But with Trump, the excitement is worn off. I think that analyst does not understand MAGA supporters, doesn't understand what it means to be a Trump supporter, just totally doesn't get it. Because, like I said, these people, they'd walk barefoot across, across hot coals. They would walk through Siberia just to be able to vote for Trump. It's not about old or new with Trump. They are so passionate. They are dripping with enthusiasm. And it doesn't matter how long Trump has been around. It's in their DNA. And so and in general, people who support Trump, they're much more engaged. They have this incredible, incredible passion. And, uh, you know, it's really it's deep down in their bones. 
In addition, they've been burned before, so now they'll do anything possible to ensure that Trump wins fair and square, as opposed to Haley and DeSantis, their supporters for the most part. It's not that they're excited about Haley and DeSantis, it's just that they need an alternative to Trump, so they found the best, like, runner-up. They found the best person who can uh, who, who can be a, a viable alternative to Trump. I don't think too many people are sitting there and they say, oh, wow, Ron DeSantis, this is the candidate of my dreams. He gets me so excited. I don't think they're excited. I think they think DeSantis Sanders is a good conservative, and he's not going to do the mean tweets like Trump. So I don't think it's going to be the same numbers at all. All right, I have a lot to get to. Coming up, I'm going to respond to a bunch of callers. We had a lot of listeners, a lot of callers reach out this week and leave me messages and send me emails and some really interesting observations. What One listener thinks that I don't have enough compassion for illegals, so I will get to that. And uh, one listener believes that uh, doesn't agree with me, thinks Nikki Haley was placed on the board of directors of, of the Boeing Corporation because of her qualifications and her merit and not because of her political connections. So we will get to, and a bunch of other listeners as well, we'll get to that in just a moment. The city of San Francisco has voted in favor of a ceasefire with Hamas. You cannot make this stuff up. City of San Francisco is an 8-3 to vote, and they voted in favor of a ceasefire with Hamas. Apparently nobody gave the memo to the San Francisco City Council they're not at war with Hamas, okay? I don't exactly know what they're voting for. Ceasefire with Hamas, they're not at war with Hamas. And yes, if they want to have a ceasefire with Hamas, by all means, San Francisco, I'm okay with them not waging war on Hamas. By the way, the city council of San Francisco also voted for a peace treaty with, treaty with the Taliban and with Kim Jong-un. And they passed a resolution calling on President Lincoln to end the Civil War. I mean, you cannot make this stuff up. The city council of San Francisco, what are these people? That, and we know these woke, radical leftists, they have to make this political statement, these vicious, vicious, cruel, evil people. So they voted for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. And uh, let me say this to the San Francisco City Council. Get rid of all the homeless people wrecking your city. Stop destroying your city. Don't worry about Israel. Don't worry about Hamas and Gaza and the Middle East. Okay, worry about your own disgusting, despicable city. It used to be a beautiful city till you drove it into the ground. And all the shoplifting and all the, and, and all these retail businesses that are closing down and leaving your city. Get rid of all the syringes on the sidewalk. Get rid of all the drug use. And how about this? How about we send all the refugees from Gaza to San Francisco, okay? And by the way, how about send President Xi to live in San Francisco for a few months out of the year so that they can actually fumigate the place and get rid of all the homeless people? Because the minute Chinese President Xi came to visit, oh boy, did they clear out the homeless people pretty quick, pretty quickly. But for the actual residents of San Francisco, that they don't care about one bit, that they have no problem literally having San Francisco be one giant homeless shelter. I mean, one giant, it, 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 I mean, it's just, the, the, it is just so incredible disgusting. I mean, it, it's like living in a, it, it, oh, oh I just, it's just, it's, it's just sickening. The conditions in San Francisco living in squalor over there. All right. So remember that airplane that had its door ripped off mid-flight and who can forget. So fascinating story. Do you know that an iPhone fell out of the airplane when the door and big part, big chunk of wall, the fuselage was ripped off this plane at 16,000 feet an iPhone fell out of the airplane at 16,000 feet, landed, it hurtled all the way to the ground and landed, and it survived intact. It was completely intact. It's, it's working. The iPhone is working. What an incredible story. And my first thought was this, what does this embody? Well, I don't know my first thought, but one of my first thoughts was, 
Look at the contrast here between private industry, between a company like Apple and Boeing. And look, Boeing, technically Boeing is a privately traded, is, it's a publicly traded company. Technically, it's not a government run company. It's not a government agency, but they are. They're a wing of the government. They're a government contract contractor. I'm sorry, but Boeing, the way I look at it is they are basically a government run company. So think about this. Uh, you, you know, the here you have this Boeing, which I look like I said is a government run company, government subsidized and contracted and everything else. They 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 had this part of the plan. They've had so many issues with the 737 Max as we are going to get to. I mean, it's just, it's been a total disaster. That airplane is a total dud. It's a lemon. It never should be allowed to fly. But of course, Boeing has all these connections that I'm going to get to. But think about this: the airplane. So and then compare it to the iPhone, the app Apple, which is a completely private company, and look at how this iPhone survives intact. And 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 look at this airplane getting uh, its it, its door ripped off mid-flight. And think about this: gets even more interesting. The plane was doing its job. There was no support reports of severe weather. All the plane was doing was flying. That's what it's supposed to do, and it cannot remain intact. All the plane was supposed to do was just get people from point A to point B without being ripped apart mid-flight. And uh, whereas, as opposed to the iPhone, where an iPhone is not supposed to survive a drop of 16,000 feet and then crashing down to Earth. I mean, it, it's a, basically a chunk of plastic. It's basically a chunk of plastic, and it's basically, and I understand it had you know, the Otter or whatever case it had and another privately traded, another another private company. So the case, the Otter case, you know, this is a very good advertisement for them as well because clearly does its job really well. But it's not supposed to, you know, it's supposed to uh, stay intact when it falls like 20 feet or when it falls out of your hand and lands on concrete or something like that, not when it falls 16,000 feet, this this hunk of plastic, but that is the power of private industry, that's the power of capitalism, and the left can't stand it. People on the left, they hate it. They hate the fact that, look, look, look I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling that this iPhone or that anything could possibly withstand such an incredible fall, and they're like trying to explain how it depends how it landed, and it landed in bushes, or it landed in something soft, and it didn't land on concrete. Are you kidding me? This thing fell 16,000 feet. It should, it should, it should, it should have smashed into a million pieces or even if it managed to stay intact, like not get to, not, 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 not smash into a bunch of pieces. It shouldn't have worked. That's incredible. But the left, you know, you, now you got the World Economic Forum and Davos here gathering this week and they're totally trying to abolish capitalism. And uh, it's pretty frightening stuff. Maybe we'll focus a little bit on that here in the coming days. And you remember, you know, talking about the Apple iPhone, remember when the FBI was unable to break into the iPhone of the terrorists in San Bernardino, San Bernardino, California. Several years ago, there was a horrific attack by Islamic terrorists in San Bernardino, California, and they confiscated the iPhones of the terrorists and the FBI, their top hackers, they were not able to hack into the phone. They couldn't get into the phone. They couldn't crack the code. And they begged Apple, they begged the Apple Corporation to let them into the phone, and the Apple company refused, at least refused for a very long time. So it's just incredible when you think about private industry versus the government. All right, so let's begin with our first caller over here. A, call, a caller commented on whether or not Trump is going to seek rep, retribution against his enemies, against all the people who have been indicting him, prosecuting him, and uh, will Trump seek retribution? And we told you, we play, we, you know, we told you that Trump said that, uh, you know, he he kind of sidestepped the question, and he wasn't very strong in favor of retribution. So a caller, I thought, 
made a brilliant point. Number one, the caller said, listen, everybody always want here what would they ask Trump about retribution? Essentially, he said, oh, listen, retribution. Well, we're, we're going to be too busy winning. We're not going to have time to focus on retribution because we're going to be too busy winning. So a caller said, you know, so somebody got nervous and said, well, don't we need retribution? Don't we need to punish? Don't we need consequences for Merrick Garland and, you know, for uh, Comey and Lisa Page, all, all the people, Peter Strzok, all the people behind the Russia hoax and everything else. And the uh, the caller said as follows. Great point. He said, we're always looking for Trump to be less blunt. When Trump says lock her up or, or you know, or, or when Trump uh, gets carried away and uh, uses hyperbole and, and and makes these extremist claims and promises. So what happens? A lot, a lot of people say, oh, why does he have to do this? Why does he have to say these things? Why does he have to stir up trouble and be so controversial? And, and now he's actually saying something that's more politically correct, that's kind of more subdued, and now we're getting upset. So, like, he's doing exactly what you want him to do. This is a great point the caller made. He said, that, you know, that, like, we're always looking for Trump to not say, oh, you know what, I'm going to retaliate, I'm going to take revenge on my political opponents, right? And it's like, why can't he just talk like other politicians, even if he's going to seek retribution? Why does he need to go and say it and be so blunt about it? And now he's doing just that. He's doing exactly what you'd want him to do. That's what the caller made the point. He said, like, you want Trump, even if Trump plans on exacting retribution and on and on punishing these people, punishing Biden and Hunter Biden and 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 Merrick Garland and and Alvin Bragg and those others, but don't announce it. Don't announce it. Just you know, kind of play it cool. Don't tell them your plans, and then you can get ready to pounce. And it's all going to depend on who Trump appoints as attorney general. He's going to need to appoint a really tough attorney general who's not who's not going to be afraid to go after all these people. Not somebody like another Jeff Sessions or another A.G. William Barr. But that's the point. The point the caller made was, listen, Trump, he's doing what everybody always wants him to do. So now don't complain about it and say, you know, and hope and the hope is, yes, he wants retribution, but he's not going to talk about it now. He's going to wait until he's in office and then do something about it then, as opposed to stirring up controversy, controversy now. But the caller made the, uh, the same caller made another point. Very interesting. He said retribution itself. That's a bad word. That's that is a very misleading word. And Fox News and the media, you know, using that term retribution, like like what they're really doing is they're really twisting around what's going on because it's ha- it's not called retribution. It's called enforcing the law. So by calling it retribution, all these people, the people who are indicting Trump, all the people behind the Russia hoax and the people who deserve to get punished for all, you know, for, for all the different crimes that were done against, uh, you know, for and, and for rigging the election and censoring the Hunter Biden story. There's so many people who deserve to pay for all the, 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 the crimes that were committed here against Trump. It's not called retribution. It's called enforcing the law. So it's very manipulative of the media. And this was Fox News, by the way, for using the term retribution because it's not retribution. These people committed crimes and these people deserve to get punished. And if Trump doesn't uh, punish them, then he's actually not fulfilling his responsibility. So the media, as usual, playing these games, being manipulative, brainwashing people, you know, Trump He's exacting retribution. It's like, let's say Trump does go and start indicting these people. Indict, you know, let's say they indict 
Joe Biden. And, and, and very possibly there's all sorts of evidence, tons of evidence of corruption on the part of Joe Biden. Hunter Biden is being indicted, but not nearly enough charges. And, uh, and, and all these, and Merrick Garland, all these other people, Alejandro Mayorkas, maybe even Dr. Fauci, right? So the media, oh, look at Trump. He's getting retribution. He's retaliating. He's seeking revenge. And that is totally brainwashing. That's totally manipulative and gaslighting because that's not what Trump is doing at all. If, if he does it, it's like, okay, well, they deserve it. Trump is actually enforcing the law, which is his solemn sworn duty if he's reelected. And, but, but no, if you, if you, if you make someone suffer any consequences, even if they deserve it, then somehow you are the bad guy. All right. So great points. Another, another caller asked about uh, a scandal involving Prosecutor Fannie Willis in Georgia, well, in, in the RICO case, the racketeering case in Georgia, this is such a bogus case against Trump, but there is this, uh, scandal. There, 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 it's a, it's very corrupt, this Fannie Willis, and a caller asked about it, so, uh, we're gonna actually bring, uh, bring that up, get to that a little bit later in the show, tell you some of the details about that, but it certainly, it does, it does seem very, very shady and suspicious and corrupt. The caller also asked for a shout out. The caller said, listen, I want you to mention that it's me. This caller, he, he made a couple of points. He called a few times and he, he had a couple of different questions. Some of the questions were specifically about the hotline, but the caller asked for a shout out for me to say, hey, you know, such and such caller, he asked me this question, so I want, he didn't give me his name, but he wanted me to point out that I noticed him, and I certainly did, and here it is, we don't do shout-outs very often, but here's the shout-out, and I certainly appreciate you bringing this issue to my attention about Fannie Willis in Georgia, we will get to that coming up. Alright, so a caller in Brooklyn defended, thinks that I'm not compassionate enough, and I want to be clear, the caller understood the point, it wasn't like the caller felt that you should allow these illegals into the country, or that, uh, you know, you should uh, give the illegals all sorts of free stuff, but the caller felt that there is a humanitarian crisis that we're ignoring, and the caller kind of implied, "Hey, where's your heart? Hey, Yaakov, like, uh, don't you, are, you know, don't you have more compassion? Like, how can you be so cruel and heartless?" She didn't say this, and it wasn't like that. Didn't came, didn't come across like that. She understood the argument, but I'll explain to you what she meant in a second. So I want to be clear: she, it wasn't like she was attacking me, or you know, it was very respectful, and she wasn't uh, accusing me of being this like cruel, heartless person. But you know, she kind of felt like anybody with a heart, any human, decent human being with compassion in their heart, would uh, would, would would send the illegals, shut down the school, and send the illegals to the school in Flatbush. So here's what she did: she defended the decision to close down the school for the day. She said, "Don't blame Eric Adams." She said, "Look, and, and I'll tell you what her points were as much as I possibly can." She said, "This was a terrible storm. This was a horrific, frightening, frightening storm." So she said, any human being with a heart would feel for these people. And essentially, she said to me, where's your compassion? So as as a result, she said, well, so then, therefore, it's justifiable. You got to shut the school and the kids will stay home. And it's worth it because what do you want? She basically said to me, you want these illegals. These illegals are in a tent in Floyd Bennett Field. This massive storm is coming. It's a dangerous storm. You want them to die? Like, would it be worth it if people, if these illegals would actually die because you can't close down a school for the day? So here's my problem. And so essentially she said, this is humanitarian. This is, you need to show compassion. You need to show these illegals. Yeah, it's an extreme situation, but an extreme situation. How can you not send them to a school? And yeah, the kids have to miss school for a day, but like, that's okay. That's justifiable. So I have a couple of responses to this. Number one, look, I, I, you know, in other words, she's saying, look, what if, what if they're going to die? I mean, this is a dangerous storm. Some of the illegals could die. So what do you want to do? You got to send them into the school. And yes, the kids are going to suffer perhaps and their education is going to suffer, but, and their social life is going to suffer, but like people might die. So 
the very simple response to that is, I understand the point. I understand if you're talking about a dangerous storm, which it probably was, and, and the only option is here that the illegals might die if they're not brought into the school. So then what are you going to do? OK, I get that. But my main response is it doesn't have to be in a school. OK, there are many, many properties. There are many facilities and buildings that many that are owned by the city, it's always the school. It's always it's always the kids that we throw under the bus. Why do the kids need to suffer? Let them go to City Hall. Okay, there are so many city courthouses throughout the city. There are homeless shelters. I mean, there are so many city properties, city-owned buildings. So they could have used a different facility. Okay, it's, it, it, they're using the kids. The kids, the school was close, and it's always very convenient. You know, oh well, let's just stick them in the school because anyway, the kids will stay home. The kids won't complain. The kids are expendable. It's like just what like could happen with COVID, where all right, you know, we're going to shut down the schools, even though the kids were the least susceptible to COVID, and it made absolutely no sense. But yeah, all right, let's just throw the kids under the bus. The kids are the ones we're going to use to score political points. So that's what really bothers me. Number one is the call is making a point. Listen, you cannot leave these people in the tent because some of them are going to be in danger and possibly they're going to die. Their lives, it's a, it, it's a life threatening situation. Let's go with that premise. Stop sending them to a school. Okay. There's so many other places. Send them to city hall. Okay. Let, let Eric Adams and, and, and the city, uh, employees, let them be off for the day. Or like I said, send them to a courthouse and let the judges be off for a day. There's just a lot of options to me that are, that, that affect adults that are much more and affect city employees that are much more viable than the school. So that's really my main point. But then I have another point I want to get to in a second. But then, you know, she made another comment. She said, Oh, let the kids have a day off from school. And like the implication almost was, and this is fundamentally to me something I disagree with. And look, I understand, like I said, I understand her point. She's looking at humanitarian crisis, but I think that there are a lot of options here without hurting the kids. She let the kids have a day off from school. And like the way she said it was, it kind of implied, like I said, she understood the other side. She was like, she was basically struggling. Like, listen, this is a disaster, but blame Biden, don't blame Adams. And you don't want people to die. So she said, let the kids have a day off from school. But the implication was kind of like, all right, so the kids, hey, kids, day off from school. Like, it's not the end of the world. My problem with that is it's like, all right, well, what's the big deal? Kids stay home from school. It's not true. And that was the same attitude with COVID. Number one, the kids missed gym class. The kids missed, you know, having any kind of social life. So the kids missed an outlet. It's not just learning for the day. But my problem is the, the it's almost like insinuating like, oh, you know what? Kids have to go to school. Kids have to learn. But is it a big deal if they miss a day of school? And the answer is, yes, it is a big deal because kids have to have structure. In other words, if you want to tell me, listen, kid, you know, sometimes this mentality people have is like, all right, so if the kids miss a day of school, is that really such a big deal? Yes and no. If it happens once, then it's not the end of the world. The problem is very often if it happens once, it happens more than once. It's a slippery slope. But that's not even my point. My point is... Obviously, you feel that the kids should be in school that day. If the kids, you want to give the kids, we give the kids plenty of days off, right? If we decide, all right, listen, kids need a day off for whatever reason, you give the kid a day off. But if you don't believe, if you think the kids should get a day off, then forget the illegals, then just give them a day off. Obviously, they felt that the kids are supposed to be in school. It was part of the schedule. So that's what I don't like. You know, it's like it's misplaced compassion. You're showing compassion to the illegals. But what you're really doing is you're really showing a cruelty to the kids because you obviously believe the kids need a day in school. Well, then if you give the kids a day off when they're supposed to be in school, then you're actually hurting them because they need that structure. And if they don't need that structure, then, yeah, then give them a day off. If you think the kids deserve a day off, they deserve a day off. But that's nothing to do with the illegals. But that's not what happened over here. But then I want to make another point here because, like I said, the caller implied that, like, I wasn't compassionate enough. And she said, listen, don't blame Eric Adams. It's not Eric Adams' fault. 
And, you know, she added, Look, listen, what do you want to do? These people are stuck. This is what she said. She said they're not allowed to work, right, because they can't get work permits. It's not really true because they can get plenty of jobs. These illegals, you know, they can get jobs that are under the, under the radar, and they certainly do. But she said they're not allowed to work, so what do you expect? They cannot afford rent, so they're stuck in this tent in Floyd Bennett Field. So, like, she basically, the way she said it was, oh, well, you're blaming Eric Adams, and it's not his fault because the situation is such that – they're stuck. These people, they can't hold down a job, so we need to support them. If you don't support them, then something terrible is going to happen. So basically, the way she said it was, like, it's a humanitarian crisis, and what are you supposed to do? Have a heart. She said any human being with a heart would realize you've got to put these people in a shelter, and you've got to help them because they're stuck. They're, they're, they're simply stuck. We don't let them work. They don't have any money. If they don't have any money, so they need our help. So that was her point. And what, what's Eric Adams doing wrong? So number one, Eric Adams doing a lot wrong because he should be down there. He should be, and I know he's spoken out against Biden a couple of times. He should be down there. He should lead a delegation. He should have 100,000 New Yorkers. I would even go. And he should be protesting against Biden and saying these policies are destroying the country. They're destroying the kids. They're even destroying the illegals themselves. This is a disastrous policy. Eric Adams proudly has a sanctuary city. Eric Adams hasn't even woken up and realized that he is destroying the city. This is going to become his legacy. And this is going to be a total nightmare he is going to go down as the worst mayor. In a way, he's worse than de Blasio because, you know, at least de Blasio, you saw, like, he didn't hide how much of a woke, radical, leftist, evil person he was. Adams has a smile, and he acts as though he's, like, a, a, a law enforcer, and he's cleaning up the city, and the city is the worst that I have ever seen. And he's totally in over his head, and he's accepting them in, and he's getting them hotel rooms and Medicaid and food and all, that, all this stuff. So, so Adams is... He's literally complicit. He's 100% complicit. He's not going. He went once in a while. He goes and, com- and, and, and complains to the Fed, federal government and asks Biden for more money. It's a money play. But like Adams should be out there. He should literally revoke the status of the sanctuary city. He should be doing what he could to deport, deport these people like, 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 te- like Texas. So Adams is more than happy to be embracing these hundreds of thousands of illegals. And he's even in, in, including in the federal budget and making cuts to the cops and everything else. So that's my issue with Adams. But here, the bigger picture here is that this caller is falling right into kind of the trap. And again, I know she understands. I know she means well. She's falling right into the trap of, uh, you know, she's falling right into the trap of what the Democrats want. The Democrats, they manufacture these crises. They bring in these millions of illegals. And yeah, they're, they're technically not allowed to have a job, although many of them can get a job off the books. And then they're stuck. Okay. The illegals are totally is stuck in a disastrous situation. Oh, it's a humanitarian crisis. And what do you want people to do? You want people to die? That's exactly what they want you to say. That is exactly what the Democrats and Biden and the woke left, that's what they want you to say. They create these crises and then they put you in a situation where you're the evil one. And now it's, well, well, well then what are you supposed to do? They, they, by, by, by that logic, they can bring in millions and millions of illegals. They can bring in, you know, do all sorts of things, create a massive crisis. And they do this with everything, by the way, and create a massive crisis. And oh, well, now there's a crisis. And, 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 and so, so, so this caller is falling right into the trap and using their exact talking points and that's how they win and you've got to put a stop to it if you don't put a stop to it and well but then I'm the cruel one that's the thing I'm the cruel one because I don't care about them because I want to keep them intense well it's the only way the only other option if you do those are your two options if you do what the caller wants to do well you have to show them humanity you know humanity you have to be humane and you can't show them cruelty and you have to open the schools and all. if you do all of that it's a magnet and it'll attract millions more and it'll destroy the country so those are you only have two options 
options over here. You can fight against it, and then you're the cruel one, or you can embrace it and say, listen, this is the situation. We're stuck, and all you're going to do then is literally, literally destroy the fabric of this country. And oh, by the way, New York City wants to place a curfew on illegals. The Adams administration, let's see if he actually does this, they are considering, strongly considering instituting curfews because what's happening is there are a lot of complaints in a lot of residential areas, including right near Floyd Bennett Field. You have these illegals, they're heading into these residential neighborhoods and they are standing outside of people's doorsteps, outside of people's front doors, and they are asking for money. They're panhandling and it's causing it's just a disaster. Imagine like you, you walk outside in the evening, you walk outside at night or any time of day and, and, and you have these illegals sitting at your doorstep asking for money. It's just, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, this is, this is the kind of stuff that happens in a third world country. And this is the stuff that breeds racism. This fosters and creates racism because you're putting, you're setting up these situations where, you know, these illegals are infiltrating these, these suburban residential neighborhoods where people just want to live in peace. All right. So let's really, let's get into some really interesting stuff here about Nikki Haley and Nikki Haley, her lobbying efforts. Uh, on behalf of Boeing, or at least, you know, her enabling of Boeing to get uh, to avoid a lot of gov- government oversight. This is pretty fascinating. So I'm going to read you here a couple of text. This was actually a text message that was sent. Now, you can always email us at josh at vinnews.com, josh at vinnews.com. And you, you can even send a text message from your cell phone. You can actually send a text message um and uh, that text message to this this email address usually will work, and I'll usually get the text message directly from your phone if you send it to josh at vinnews.com. So let me read you here. We had kind of a back and forth. This, this, this uh, listener sent me a text about Nikki Haley in response to something I said. Last week I, I, I uh, blamed Nikki Haley, and I said she is complicit in Boeing, and uh, Boeing essentially has had all these major, major safety issues, and they use people like Nikki Haley to avoid government scrutiny and to be able to, you know, get away with a lot of the stuff they should never be allowed to get away with. These 737 Maxes are a dud. They're terrible, terrible uh, airplanes, and they should be grounded. They, They keep getting grounded and then getting... Uh, reinstated, and it, 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 there have been crashes, and it, it, it's just been a disaster. And I say Nikki Haley's a part of that. So let me read you here the back and forth. It's pretty fascinating. Here, the caller, uh, the, 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 the listener texted me the following quote. I disagree with you totally about holding Nikki Haley accountable for the Boeing 737 fiasco. The culpable ones are the FAA. Boeing are the ones that should be held accountable. Your claim that her position on the board of directors of Boeing is comparable to Hunter Biden's position on the board of Burisma, since he, she doesn't know anything about aerodynamics, aeronautics, and uh, and about aviation, sounds really silly to me. No offense. I'm reading here the listener. Some of the purpose, and I love it. You know, critique me all you want. Some of the purpose of the board of directors are not there to invent and design new planes, rather to help with the direction of the company and financially. Nikki is an accountant and is experienced in how to navigate the government for def- for defense contracts, which are a huge part of their business, which means she was definitely an asset to the company in contrast to Hunter. So he's defending the fact that Nikki Haley's there, saying Nikki Haley is there because of her merits that she brings to the table, because of the value, not merely because of her political connection. So I wrote back, do you really believe that the reason that Nikki Haley was appointed to the board of Boeing is because of her accounting skills? They couldn't find a better accountant than Nikki Haley. So the listener wrote back the following quote, don't think that is the main reason. However, I was bringing it, just bringing it that she understands finances. However, I think the main reason is for government contracts, and she definitely understands the federal government, so she was definitely an asset. However, the comparison to Hunter, because she does not understand aerodynamics, 
I thought it was an absurd comparison. And I appreciate that. Look, I don't agree. And I wanted, you, you know, to kind of, we report, you decide. I wanted to read this. Uh, and you, you can, you can, uh, decide on your own if you think Nikki Haley, uh, it, it belongs on the board of, uh, of Boeing. And she's off the board now, but deserves to be on the board because of the value she brings to the table. And she was a legitimate business asset which I find hard to believe because out of hundreds of millions of people in the country, they picked Nikki Haley, but not for her political connections. But And I understand he's saying her knowledge of government contracts, but come on. You know, that's and that's why. And by the way, Vivek Ramaswamy keeps, Ramaswamy keeps pointing it out. And there I go again. And he's, you know, he's livid about the fact that uh, Nikki Haley's in the back pocket of all these corporations. He hates the lobbying. I also hate the lobbying. It's a revolving door. You have these members of Congress. They don't make a lot of money as congressmen. They, they do OK, but they don't make a ton of money. Then they go. They build all these government connections. Then they become lobbyists for these big firms. And then, you know, they, they, they use their connections to try to get, uh, you know, all these uh, all, all, all this protection and try to get all these perks and all these benefits for these companies, Big Pharma, Boeing, all these government defense contractors, and I think it's disgraceful. I, I honestly think it's disgraceful. But I'm going to tell you now, so, but, you know, that was his point. His point was you can't compare it to Biden and Burisma. Now, you can't compare it to Biden and Burisma for another reason, because Burisma and Ukraine, they're an enemy, okay? They are not a friend of the United States. They're a foreign entity. So, as, as a foreign, Hunter Biden clearly, clearly was hired, and now we have all the this evidence that Hunter and Joe Biden, they... You know, they were brought in by Burisma because Burisma was extremely corrupt and they were supposed to whitewash the corruption and help pressure the the United States government to uh, give Burisma all sorts of perks. So that's the difference. The difference is that when it's a domestic company like Boeing, there is no illegality, but it is very, very shady and corrupt. The fact that you have people like Nikki Haley who are appointed to the board of Boeing because they're there to help protect them from government oversight, government scrutiny, and, you know, help uh, help uh, protect them from all sorts of problems, especially with Boeing. But if you listen to some of this is stunning, this is shocking, some of the things that that went on here between Nikki Haley and Boeing that I think prove my point. But again, we report you decide if you believe uh, if you agree with the listener that, uh, you know, Nikki Haley has this in, in, intrinsic value she was brought on for. That's fine. I respect that. And I like it. Anytime you want to criticize me and call, call me absurd, I love it. I relish it. I enjoy it. Not a problem. So let me read you here. While serving on the board of Boeing in 2020, Nikki Haley helped shoot down a plan that was designed to force the company to disclose its spending on lobbyists, which was used to influence, influence politicians and safety regulators. So what happened was for years and years, Boeing paid hundreds of millions of dollars to the federal government uh, in order to avoid, uh, well, well, allegedly in order to avoid government scrutiny. The government was cracking down because the Boeing 737 MAX led to all these safety issues and all these crashes and everything else. And many, many people were killed. Uh, so they, they were going to have a lot of government oversight. And Nikki Haley was brought in right then and there. And she actually shot down the plan that would have forced Boeing to disclose its lobbying efforts and all the money that it paid to politicians. The Boeing board's opposition to the measure, this is a shareholder measure, the shareholders wanted more oversight, more government oversight of the lobbying efforts. And um, the board's opposition, they opposed it unanimously, and Nikki Haley was on the board. Okay, what happened was... Uh, they, they were lobbying the FBA on certification and approving. Basically, Boeing was lobbying the FBA. They wanted certification. They wanted the, uh, the, the approval to fly the 737 fleet because what happened was there were two horrific crashes, as you know, two 737 MAX crashes, one in 2018, one in 2019, killing 346 people. And they, 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 they the, the, the planes were grounded and Boeing was trying very hard 
to uh, get the FAA to certify and approve that the 737 Max have the right to fly. 737 Max is a terrible plane. They should just get rid of them and start over. Haley was a member of Boeing's board when it unanimously opposed the proposal to be transparent and to disclose all the lobbying money that was spent. Um, proponents said that effort, okay, that transparency proposal was designed to uncover whether Boeing had basically bought off federal safety officials, essentially bribed them to shoot down oversight regulations. So Nikki Haley was involved literally in protecting Boeing from government oversight that would have um, put them under major scrutiny, Boeing, to determine if they were culpable for the the crashes of the 737 MAX. Shareholders urged the proposal to be passed, saying the company spent $153 million on federal lobbying between 2010 and 2018. It's a ton of money. Here's a quote from the... um, from the proposal, quote, in the wake of the two 737 MAX jet crashes, questions have been raised whether Boeing's lobbying led to relaxed FAA oversight. And Haley and her fellow board members, they voted no. They said, we do not want government oversight. We don't want to be transparent about our lobbying efforts. And Haley's opposition came despite a report that Boeing had a significant gap in its disclosure of indirect lobbying expenditure and that more disclosure would better allow shareholders to assess the company's exposure to risks associated with its political activity. So in other words, basically the shareholders are worried because they're saying, listen, there's a lot of risk here. Boeing is not doing a good job of mitigating the risk and of, and of making their company safer. And they're not telling us how many hundreds of millions of dollars they're spending on lobbying efforts. So we have no idea how dangerous Boeing really is. And they were trying to basically get transparency. They want to know how much the government spent. I'm sorry, how much Boeing spent on, on government lobbying efforts in order to basically protect itself and continue being an unsafe company, allegedly without government oversight. And Haley shot that down. Haley, Haley joined the company's board of directors after the two. Oh, oh, when did Haley join the company's board of directors? Listen to this timing. After the two fatal 737 MAX crashes in Indonesia and Ethiopia, after allegations of fraud and a cover-up of safety problems following those crashes, which resulting in a $243 million fine and $3 billion in compensation to, 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 to victims' families, um, and, and to the airline uh, employees' families. So Haley was then brought on. So she was literally brought on. It seems the timing is impeccable to deal with this crisis, to try to clean up this mess that Boeing was facing uh, after these two horrific crashes because of the 737 MAX. She was she served on the board's audit committee, which is tasked with overseeing Boeing's risk management as well as compliance with laws and company policy. So very, very shady there. Well, you know, in, in strong implications that Nikki Haley was specifically brought on to help the company be protected from government oversight. The company was was, was going through a massive, massive crisis. And Boeing shareholders were pushing for additional oversight, like I said, um, with all the hundreds of millions spent in political lobbying. And now this all this lobbying spending has come under more scrutiny after the Boeing 737 MAX 9 plane suffered this mid-flight blowout, leaving a gaping hole in the plane's fuselage before an emergency left, uh, uh, landing. The Bo- Boeing has spent tons to, to, to lobby lawmakers when safety exemptions, exemptions in Washington. The, they spent more than $10 million in the first three quarters of 2023 alone. And its suppliers have also spent a ton of money. Boeing has subcontractors that supply, including the subcontractor that manufactured the door 
that fell off this airplane, which is Spirit Aerosystems, they also have spent significant money to lobbyists. And by the way, um, Nikki Haley has been doing favors for Boeing for years and years, even before she became governor of South Carolina. Um, she was a state lawmaker. Then she became the governor in 2015. Haley helped Boeing bust a union drive at a plant in South Carolina. Um, in April 2019, Haley who had just resigned from her post as U.S. ambassador to the U.N., was voted in by Boeing shareholders as a board member. At the time, she was no stranger to the power of dark money. Her secretive nonprofit was already raking in cash that would set the groundwork for a presidential bid. Um, she resigned in March 2020, claiming it was in protest of the airline bailout, despite supporting public subsidies for Boeing earlier in her political career. Shortly before her resignation in March of 2020, Boeing's board, including Haley, was tasked with reviewing shareholder proposals designed to require the company to take particular actions including the disclosing of the lobbying money that we said earlier. Um, and like I said, uh, Haley and the entire board staunchly opposed that proposal. By the way, Haley, as governor of South Carolina, boasted about Chinese companies that she convinced to open operations in the state. So she actually brought in a bunch of Chinese companies, including Chinese companies that broke the law. And speaking of the Boeing disaster, you know that the audio on the black box device on the Alaska Airlines flight, the one that had the door blown off, that audio has mysteriously disappeared. The audio that happens at the time when the plane's door flew off, that audio has mysteriously disappeared. This is egregious. What does this tell you? It's like you can't make it up. If it was fiction, you'd say, oh, come on, how unrealistic fiction is this? You're going to tell me that those minutes happened to be erased, but those minutes were completely erased. I don't even, I can't even wrap my head around that. Now, NTSB chair... Jennifer Homendy, this is according to the Post Millennial, said at a press briefing that audio of the chaotic flight incident was lost during the emergency landing. I don't know if this is the entire audio of the entire black box or just those minutes, but it's pretty incredible. The audio that was recorded um, has disappeared. Here's a quote from Homendy, the head of the NTSB. Uh, the cockpit voice recorder was completely overwritten. There was nothing on the cockpit voice recorder. We have nothing. She said the emergency landing was a chaotic event. I mean, there are there are crashes where these recordings stay intact. She said, quote, the maintenance team went out to get the recorder, but it was right at about the two hour mark. She then added the whole recording had been lost. So it sounds like the entire recording. And she said the recording could have given insight into what happened when the panel blew off. No kidding. Um, if that communication is not recorded, unfortunately, that's a loss for us and for the FAA and a loss for safety because the information is the key. It's insane. It is truly insane. All right, caller made a point. Wow, it's getting late here. Caller made the point that, um, you know, Haley made the point that chaos follows Trump. But what the caller said was, you know, we alluded to this, this is a great point, is that it's because Trump is effective. You know, when you say chaos follows Trump, yes, chaos follows Trump, but it, but, but it follows Trump because he's an effective Republican. And that's what they're so terrified for. You know, so Haley may not have chaos, but that's because she's part of the establishment and part of the swamp. And they know that she'll kind of, uh, do what they say and do what they want, so she's not going to be a threat. So essentially what that means is if chaos follows you, then you're doing something right. And if chaos doesn't follow you, then that means you're just doing what the Democrats want you to do. So you have two choices. And that's what the caller said, and he's, it's a great point. He said you can either have someone who advances conservative values like Trump and who does all these things, you know, pulls out of Iran, closes up the border, everything else. And then you'll have chaos. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot have an effective Republican without having chaos. Or if you want to have everything cushy 
and you, you want everything to be calm and no chaos, then you know, then you then then you can have a president like Nikki Haley, who's part of the establishment and who panders to the woke left. Uh, so that's a really really great point. Colin made another point. He said that Trump has one weakness, and he said that people Trump will hire people who don't really agree with his values. Because they flatter him, and he believes that this is Trump's weakness. He, look, he makes a compelling point. He said they're not they're not mega Republicans; they're establishment people. And then he hires them, and then it turns into chaos. And it happened numerous times, right? Look at John Bolton, who totally stabbed uh, him him in the back. You look at who is it? James Mattis, Trump's sec, uh, uh, defense secretary. You can the list goes on and on of all these establishment Republicans who couldn't stand Trump. And I understand he'll tell me that Trump is tough and he's not easy to deal with or whatever, but think about Reigns Priebus, Jeff Sessions, Mick Mulvaney, uh, A.G. Barr, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, who was in the White House for like two weeks, Chris Christie, maybe you can even make a case, Steve Bannon, who kind of, he and Trump have had a back and forth. But great point that he made, which is that the one thing Trump's fault, Trump falls for, if he watches Fox News and he sees these people kind of praising him and buttering him up, he'll hire them. Not because they necessarily see eye to eye with Trump in principle, but because he gets flattered by them and that's a weakness. And then that causes that leads to some level of chaos because then they turn around and talk about how much they despise him. So pretty interesting point there. Um, all right. Uh, Hunter Biden, once again, is out foxing the Republicans. I'll have to get into this a little bit next time. But I think that the Republicans are not going to hold Hunter Biden in contempt. They are scheduled to hold him in contempt in the next couple of days. But now Hunter Biden in the 11th hour has turned around and decided, OK, I will testify after all. I agree to testify. I agree to deposition. So he's totally playing games, totally stringing along these Republicans. And they should hold him in contempt. He defied a subpoena. They're saying, well, it wasn't a legit subpoena because there hadn't been an impeachment inquiry passed. Yet. They're, they're playing all sorts of games. Hunter Biden, I believe that his lawyer, Abby Lowell, is very, very shrewd and very strategic. And they're coming up with ways to totally divide the Republicans and make this into a mockery and a circus. But I think at the end of the day, the Republicans are going to cave in and, you know, they're going to fall for this because Hunter Biden, he's going to make he's going to get them on these technicalities. Well, there wasn't it wasn't a legitimate subpoena, but now it is a legitimate subpoena. So now I will testify. And he's pulling all these PR stunts. He's running rings around them. He's making the Republicans look very silly. Look how many weeks it took to hold them in contempt. All you need to do is hold Hunter Biden in contempt. He defied that subpoena weeks ago. It was like in mid-December. And here we are. Remember, Trump was impeached. The second time in like 10 days. OK, that's all they had or, 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 or whatever. Less than two weeks. They could do this quickly, but they slow walk it and take forever. And uh, Hunter Biden, he's he, he's he's exploiting that and leveraging that. And I think he's not even going to be held in contempt. I hope I'm wrong. But now he's agreeing to sit behind closed doors. So they're, they're saying they're still moving forward and they still might hold him in contempt. But I'm very skeptical. And is he going to spend a day in jail? I'm even even more extremely skeptical that he ever will spend a single day in jail. There's going to be some kind of plea deal. He's going to get acquitted or maybe, you know, it'll be a Kevin Kleinsman situation. He'll he will get probation, something along those lines. All right. Uh, the Fannie Willis thing. Long story short, Fannie Willis hired Nathan Wade to be the prosecutor. This is a RICO case, RICO case, racketeering case. The whole thing is totally bogus. But uh, basically, Nathan Wade has gotten about six hundred thousand dollars in payments from Fannie Willis, the head prosecutor. And it's a disgrace. He doesn't deserve that money that that's that, you know, that's government money. And they, you know, it's apparently he used some of that money to pay her off after she hired him, which seems like a kickback. There's a lot of corrupt things going on over there. So we're going to keep an eye on that. That That is being investigated. Rand Paul says Dr. Fauci should go to prison. That's what we have been saying. Dr. Fauci funded gain of function research. He, he spent millions. That gain of function research is what ultimately led to the covid uh, virus being developed in the Wuhan lab, whether it was a leak or whether they intentionally 
uh, leaked it out of the lab. Either way, either way, Dr. Fauci is 100% culpable. He literally funded the research, the gain of function research, which mutated these viruses to make them extremely dangerous to humans. And that turned into COVID. So Dr. Fauci, the person who supposedly was supposed to be helping prevent the spread of COVID and did not and was a miserable failure. Uh, but he actually is the is the reason or a big part of the reason that they developed the COVID virus in the first place. And um, here's what Fauci said. Fauci said, quote, I'm sorry, here's what Dr. Here's what Rand, Senator Rand Paul said. He said, um, a guy smart enough to think he can shut down schools, shut down the economy, force everybody to get vaccinated, including kids. People already had COVID, the military. We had mandates everywhere. He was all for them. And he cannot recall how the decision-making went or what the science would support. This apparently ran Paul, uh, uh, of Dr. Fauci over 100 times when he testified before the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic last week. He could he, he could not remember. There was like 100 times where he said he couldn't remember. Couldn't remember. What a disgrace. So Fauci, uh, Rand Paul says if he's smart enough to remember, if he's smart enough to make the, all these decisions, he should be smart enough to be able to remember how all the decisions were made. By the way, he should have notes. You tell me that they don't have records. They don't, they didn't write these things down. I mean, it's just totally, totally not believable. And he's never been held accountable for anything. And Brad Wenstrup, the chairman of that committee where Fauci testified, said he was surprised how frequently Fauci said he could not recall decisions or circumstances during, during, during the early days of the outbreak that killed 1.1 million Americans. Um, Paul fl- slammed Fauci for saying he approved all the research at the Wuhan lab but did not read the research, it, which is unbelievable. He says, Paul says, quote, it looked like the virus came from the lab, but the lab was only able to function because the U.S. funded it and Fauci approved of it. That is probably the worst decision ever made by a public health official in the history of time. But, of course... He is not suffering any consequences, not getting, uh, not going to jail or anything of the sort, not losing his pension. Uh, who's Trump's running mate going to be? We'll analyze that as time goes on. But, you know, some names here that some callers have brought up here. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Elise Stefanik, Kevin McCarthy, Lee Zeldin, Jim Jordan. That would be a lot of fun. So we are going to keep an eye on that. All right. That's going to do it for today. And we will see you. Let's see who wins the Iowa caucus. Huh? We will see you next time.